Welcome to the Women in Industry podcast. My name is Kirsty Davis Chinnock, and today I'm joined by Samantha Bembo, Director of Bembo Steels Limited. Bembo Steels are an independent colour coated steel stockholder. They maintain exceptionally high standards and with an unrivaled choice of material, flexible service from expert staff and a fast, reliable delivery service, they're proud to be able to offer their customers uh, a service that is completely unrivaled in the industry. Welcome, Sam. Nice to have you on the show. Hi, Kirsty. Thank you for having me. So we, we've been talking via email over the last few days. Um and something that isn't on your LinkedIn that you <laughs> casually dropped into the email is that when you started out, you did an advanced city and guild in casting and casting pit practices. Yeah. Um, why castings? Well, yeah, it sounds random. I appreciate that. But I did a manufacturing engineering degree and I started my graduate program with Chorus. Um, and the good thing about them is that you can well, as was, and I'm sure it's the same now, is you start on that programme and you can pick and choose wherever you want to go. So I started off in the beam mill up in Teesside and working on the shifts there for a while to really get to the nuts and bolts of how it worked. And then I spent time in Comcast, which was just brilliant because it's proper heavy engineering. The smells, the sights, the sounds, the everything. I loved it. Um, and while I was there, I wanted to know more about how steel was cast. So they were putting on an advanced sitting guild for the for the shop floor. So I, I just tagged along um, and just found out more. It's never been that much use to me since, but it was really interesting. And then, of course, I moved all over. Um, I went down to Scunthorpe, worked in the wire mill. So I've worked all over on the steel industry, seen most of the UK's steel mills at one time or another, and a few in Europe as well. Um, so just travelled around. So it was part of that journey of just wanting to be a sponge and soak up so much about the manufacturing industry and just learn more from a theoretical point of view, from a practical point of view. And when you look back at it, um, what did you prefer, the theoretical or the practical? Oh, the practical, definitely. I just love, even now, we recently went to um, ArcelorMittal site in Ghent at um, the end of last year and just seeing this massive industry. It's so simple and yet not. It's seeing the hot billets coming out and just seeing the process. I absolutely love it. I've always loved manufacturing processes, seeing something start and go through the process and how it ends. Um, since I was young, when I was looking at what degree to do, I chose manufacturing engineering because I love that process. Um, so I, I just, yeah, definitely the practical always. And when you did your degree, um, was a, a good gender split or were women no, in the minority? No, obviously not, no. <laughs> it was about 100 students and two women. No, maybe yeah. the three to start off with, so not many. But I'd been to an all-girls school, so <laughs> it was fine being completely different. And, and when you were working at Chorus and you sort of did all that, um, what aspects of all the different factories that, that, that you visited and all the different processes that you learned, was it casting that was your favorite or were there any others? No, the wire mill was exciting, strangely. It's just so fast, it starts off so slow because of course the steel's so huge as it comes in and then it just gets quicker and quicker and quicker and it flies at the end. That's 
if anyone hasn't seen a wire mill, it's worth seeing, but then maybe I just get a bit excited about these things. Um, I, I, I'm the same. I, I'm lucky enough to have made lots of contacts over the years who have factories that process different things. Um, and if they post they've got a new machine, I'm like, can I come and play with it? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, but I, I don't, I just loved learning all of them. And the, and Comcast was really exciting because it was, so, again, seemed so simple and yet wasn't. We were doing, um, the project I was working on at the time was about rail inclusions. Um, and it's just these tiny, tiny little gaps in the steel that could obviously, when it was taken and made into um, steel rails at Workington, any tiny little defect could cause a catastrophic train crash. So it was really important. And then I can't even remember which one it was, but there had been a train crash recently when I joined there what, over 20 years ago. So it was really relevant. Um, so steel is just so relevant to everything we do. Um, but then over time I moved out of that side of the manufacturing because it was the process bit I loved. And so I started implementing an IT system that was process based or product based and then loved the process of that. So moved into that direction, more away from the heavy engineering. And that's when you went into sort of your project planning, business analysis type roles. And that was still at Chorus, wasn't it? Yeah, so I moved down to the Midlands um, with Chorus Distribution uh, to take a job um, looking after the IT. There were, I can't remember how many, there was about 20 odd different businesses that I was responsible for their all their IT processes, their systems, um, and their link with our outsourced provider. Um, I didn't know anyone in the Midlands, never been here in my life before, but pal, almost quite been... friendly. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never left, so I'm still here. Um, but yeah, it, it took me away from that engineering side, but it was a, something I really loved doing. Um, I really enjoyed it. And again, it gave me a different aspect to the process. And when did you join Benbo Steels? So I left Chorus, um, how many years ago now? Must have been about 18, 19 years ago. Um, started consulting for Atos Consulting in London. Um, again, process re-engineering, which is what I'd started to do so much more of. Um, but for all sorts of different companies, um, I worked with Arup, Vosa, um, on internal projects. So generally just looking at their business processes, how the business worked mm. and mapping it, defining it, redefining it, all of those things, business analysis type work, um, but still that process and um, whether it's manufacturing or a service or anything, it's still that same. Where does it start? Who does what? How does it all slot in so that you get the end result? Um, and Simon phoned me, um, must have been about 18 years ago now. So I've just come up with this really good idea. <laughs> Should we do it? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? No kids. Everything was fine. Let's just go for it. Um, so he set the business up about 17, eight, well, probably 18 years ago now. Um, but of course, started small in the spare room of our house. Um, so there wasn't much for me to do. So I didn't, I carried on with what I was doing. And then over time, as the business grew, there were more and more projects that I got involved in. Um, and did more and more and obviously involved from the beginning, but not as a proper role. Um, then about four or five years ago, we had these big plans to double the size of the business. Mm -hmm. So then there was so much more to do. 
so I just did more and more and more and more and more and then just yeah still doing more and more because there's always so much to do so I've been more day to day for the last five years or so but obviously been involved since the very beginning and as well as um being involved at the beginning when you were a startup mm-hmm. um uh, and you got your consultancy roles mm-hmm. um then looking at um I, I'm, I'm getting quite good at stalking people on linkedin um <laughs> looking at other roles you've done um yeah. y- y- you've held other roles at the same time as Bembo so you were an operational chair of a nursery yeah what made you decide to I mean looking at the summary it's you you turn them around in 12 months from loss making to profitable yeah yeah so it's a it's a charity run nursery in our village that was just losing so much money and it's I'm a fixer I just want to get in and fix things (laughs) and it's inevitably it's run by it was run and still is run by volunteers um and i had the time and the inclination my kids were there just let me in let me fix it so i i got in got a really good team around me um and the staff there were brilliant already so it was just about finding a way of them the staff doing what they do best and focusing on running it as a business um which we did i stayed there for about three years and got it up and running well it was already running it's been there for a while but making a profit it's a charity so it wasn't making a profit it was just in surplus which is what it needed to be so that when we did have a drop of kids coming it was still healthy and could still thrive but yeah i'm a fixer so i just wanted to get in and do things so and in in your role of fixing things Mm -hmm. um was that behind when you set up your own business the greenbow kitchen yeah looking at helping people to cook nutritious food. Yeah, exactly the same, really. And again, it's that process with small kids. There was trying to get food on the table quickly for everybody that everybody would eat. It's just it just proves so difficult to do. Well, follow anyone else's recipes or buy food in. So obviously it was the the whole time before Gusto or any of those meal kits. So I was creating recipes that just fit. And again, it's process re-engineering. Okay, how do I make this end product? How do I break it down and make it fit around us? So I then realized I was doing that a lot for ourselves. So how could I help other people do the same? And creating recipes that fit around people's needs, fit around their lifestyles, fit around their tastes so that they could flex it depending on who's in the house, what worked for them on a time scale. And it's just that process re-engineering thing again, really, just finding a way to make it work for people on a way that works for them. Uh, One of the things that my son's 27 now, but um, when he was little, my bugbear was whenever we went out for a meal, he had a choice of chicken nuggets and chips, fish fingers and chips, burger and chips, and that was it. Um, And it's... It, it's a lot better now. The, 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 it is acknowledged that, you know, children don't have to eat beige food. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Um, but their taste buds are going to be different to adults and it's finding yes. that middle ground that the whole family will eat. Yes. Um, which you learn as you go. But if you're working busy jobs, yeah. um, trying to get in, get them fed, try and eat yourself, often at the time, if you were a startup, going back to work in the evening yeah, after yeah. they've gone to bed. Exactly. Uh, or fixing the local village nursery. 
<laughs> um, it, it's hard to juggle sometimes. Yes. Um, so talking about that, um, now you're more involved on the day to day. Um, how do you juggle your work life balance with you and Simon and the family? <laughs> it's tricky, <laughs> but it's good fun. Um, I think the biggest downside of working together so much is that overlap of time. So many times being up at two in the morning talking about an HR issue or strategy or issues or planning or or being up early in the morning to do work or even just over dinner. Oh, what about this? And it, the overlap, we've had to make a huge effort to really define boundaries and talk about when, when we're having dinner or with the car in the car with the kids and it's just such a huge part of our lives right mm. stop talking not now <laughs> we'll talk about that later and it, it's we've ha really had to be conscientious about that do you find that having sort of the additional um roles that you've done um mm. with the kitchen and the nursery that that gives you something else to talk about another focus rather than bembo all the time um yeah i guess so but our lives are so full anyway we We've got a really thriving community in our village. We have a scarecrow festival that I help run that it sounds small, but as was one of the original ones, there's 30 to 40,000 people come to our very small village over two days. Um, and so it's a huge event that we help organize. Um, and the kids have busy lives. We're busy. So whilst work is a huge part, part of the reason that we talk all the time about it is that we're talking about everything else in the rest of the time. Yeah. So it's not all work. Um, yeah, so it does it does work well. We're just busy people, I think. Oh, you know what they say, if you want something doing, ask a busy person to do it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and when I was looking at your website, um, you, you've got a really impressive environmental policy. I mean, obviously, sustainability, becoming carbon neutral, using less energy, both for cost mm -hmm. and also for um, reducing CO2 emissions mm -hmm. is something that more and more people are looking at and more and more SMEs are looking at. Mm -hmm. um, when did you start sort of travelling down the sustainability road and, and, and why is it so important to you? Well, we started quite a few years ago. Um, we did a big expansion project in 2020. Uh, we doubled the size of the factory, bought a new line, knocked our offices down, built new ones. And we were quite aware of the environmental impact, but there's nothing we could do about it because it had been done and it needed to happen. So we got some a consultant in turning the black country green um, to look at our footprint for that year and, and the changes we made with the intention of offsetting it. Um, but while we were at it, we also looked at our footprint for that year. And just by looking at it, there were so many things we could do that they were really small, had no impact on us, but they had a huge impact on the life cycle of the products. Um, and it just made me realize how, I guess, easy it was to make a difference. But then I think having children makes you, I mean, my kids are 14 and 12 and it, just thinking of the future ahead of them, if we're not making small changes now and pushing other people to make changes along the way, then what world are we leaving for them? 
it it doesn't make sense to me not to do something and to be fair as a company everything we do is about having integrity being responsible and if we're not taking care of the product that we send out of the door if we're not taking care to make sure everything we do is the best it can be then then we don't have the integrity we say we do it's important i i think that's really important and um one of the things we found um when we started looking at this a few years ago mm. was you know i i just went to google and I, I thought right i want a 10 point checklist on how i can reduce my carbon footprint mm. And I'll just go down the list and tick it all off. And there was nothing there. And I was like, I'll work out my carbon footprint. And all the calculators were like, <laughs> there was nothing there. Um, and it's it's getting better, but it's so difficult to find yeah. these little things that snowball to make a bigger impact yeah. um, without using a consultancy. So. Are you open to sharing your best practice with other SMEs about sort of going, look, you know, here's a five point plan and and things like that? Uh, yes. But as you say, I think it's quite difficult and it's so unique because our scope one and scope two is so low, really low. We don't we don't use that much energy to produce our material. We don't. Everything that goes out of the factory is recyclable. We don't have a huge amount of waste, but we are now embarking on a zero to landfill um project which will ultimately happen um it's the scope three mm. so it's everyone else <laughs> so that's where the focus is and especially with steel of course every ton of steel is two ton of carbon it's it's huge so it's up to us to be putting not only pressure on our suppliers but our suppliers tata steel and ArcelorMittal are doing so much to reduce their carbon footprint and it's about educating people telling people communicating all of that information because the more we tell everyone what our suppliers are doing the more people are realizing the stuff happening here we need to be doing things and the more people do the more it'll snowball and the more everyone will be doing something the momentum will build so quickly and what buy-in have you got from your team i know when we started talking about it just silly things like if they went to go on their coffee break, um, they'd leave the radio playing and now they turn the radio off. Yeah. I mean, I know that's a silly thing, but that 20 minutes, five days a week on six or seven radios, yeah, 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 yeah. Soon, you know, it's those little things that build up. So, um, and we found that a lot of people were engaged because of the higher energy costs they were seeing yeah. at home. So yeah. it brought it home to them, but yeah. also they've got families. And like you say, they're looking at how can we make this a better future for our children? Yeah. How did your team engage with you on it? Yeah, the, the shop floor, to be fair, have been absolutely brilliant. They, they're on board with it, particularly the waste uh, zero to landfill. So long as it doesn't make their lives harder which i think is the same for everybody with environmental issues don't increase the cost and don't make life harder they're they're totally on board with it because it's part of the process like when waste when any products come in so long as it does the job and it's the same price everyone's a winner so they've been totally on board with it the office staff have been a little bit more tricky <laughs> i don't know why um even just getting people to recycle 
It's like, that doesn't go in the recycling bin. How could you think that goes in the recycling bin? Or a fine paper in the normal bin. Like, what are you, what are you doing? How can you not, not know? Are you like this at home? <laughs> so it's, it, it, I guess it's finding a way of putting it that is meaningful to people. Um, the same as obviously at recycling at, at home, everyone finds some people do, some people don't. My parents put everything in the dishwasher to clean it thoroughly before it goes in the recycling. In my house, if it gets in the recycling, this is a win, even if it's got some food in it. So it's I'm I, we recycle everything we can in our house, but I'm not wasting energy on the dishwasher. Everyone's different how they do it. And some households don't recycle at all. So I think it's just finding a way that resonates with people. I, I agree. And I, I think it's quite interesting about looking between sort of like office based energy saving and production based energy saving. Um, and I have a contact who's a director at a, a, a multiple group of accountancy firms um, and they analyze their carbon footprint and they had 20 percent of the energy use they used was just wasted from people not turning the computers off when they went home. Right. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. a huge, huge amount. Huge. Absolutely huge amount. And I think it's, I think because there's a degree of physicality to production-based works, yeah. even if it's not heavy lifting, you know, you're walking about, you're standing up, you're not sitting down, um, because you, you're expending that personal energy, um, it, it's, it's perhaps going to resonate a bit more. Don't know, yeah. I might need to think that through a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as you, you're growing at Bembo mm -hmm. yeah. um, and you're getting involved in more projects and you've got your zero to landfill project on at the moment, yeah. um, what's the most exciting aspect of your role now? <sighs> I don't know, there's so much. <laughs> um, I think digital technology, looking at how that can help us is a big thing. Um, I don't yet know if AI is of any benefit to us, but is it? It's the finding out that's exciting. It's the looking at how we can move forward. Because if you'd have asked us five years ago what our business would look like now from a technical point of view or what our personal lives or our social lives would look like, I don't think most of us would be able to predict the landscape we're in. So project five years time from now, I don't know what it looks like. And it's that finding out, um, looking at the potential, the opportunities, um, looking at carbon neutral, looking at what we can do, what we can do with our suppliers and looking at, well, we don't know now, we've got no clue. You look around and think there's nothing more we can do, but give it a few months, something will have changed and there's so much more we can do. So I think that's the most exciting thing is looking at the future in technology and how it can help us and and how we can embrace the future to drive our business forward. I think it's, it's uh, we, we've evolved with the technology that we use so rapidly over the last 20 years yeah. um, compared to the previous 50 um, that it's going to get faster and faster and faster and faster. Yeah. Um, and for me, that, again is really exciting um we're looking at robotics um and there are all sorts of ways uh you, you can in a, a production environment use robotics mm -hmm. um, rather than moving things on a forklift truck you can mm -hmm. 
have automated robotic lines that move things up and down if, if they're going from A to B to C and back again. Um, and again, they can run on rechargeable batteries. So rather than um, a forklift truck with a gas canister. So yeah. th there's a lot of ways out there that you don't know yeah. how it's going to evolve. Yes. Um, and, and I think it also gives the next generation coming through a more exciting view of manufacturing yeah. um, and the metals industries. Yes. So this year then, have you got any goals personally and professionally that you really want to achieve? Um, I think there's so much going on here. Definitely looking at, at, at helping develop and expand the business. Um, the construction industry is in a strange bubble at the moment. It's a bit, a bit up and down. Um, to get through that but generally from a business point of view is just looking to the future and the things that we can put in place now to expand to develop um, from a personal level um, I want I went to the Make UK headquarters was it last year now and walking around their apprentice centre it made me so excited remembering being in that sort of environment because when I was doing my degree so much of the kit they were using I was using such similar kit and learning and it reminded me how how exciting it was being there doing that learning about industry in that way and seeing so few women doing it um even now and looking around i think we saw one woman there and lots of men or boys girls um doing their apprenticeship training there and i definitely want to do see what i can do to help women apprentices get into and stay in the manufacturing industry um, because it is so male dominated. It's easy to be put off. Um, but so, yeah, that's definitely a plan I have for this year. I don't know how it's going to work yet. Um, I'm looking at mentoring female apprentices, um, things like that. That that's, uh, sounds really, really worthwhile. Um, I think at the moment there is quite a lot of support for senior women in manufacturing mm -hmm. and engineering industries. Yeah. Um, and, and also there's a, they in turn want to mentor and help young women coming into the industry. Mm -hmm. But then we've got the bit in the middle um, where people struggle perhaps uh, when women have had a career break on maternity mm -hmm. leave and come back um, and finding a way to support them and also ensure their career path doesn't falter yeah. um, when they're raising a family. It, it's it's difficult because they just end up working two full-time jobs um, and, and feel guilty about doing both half the time. Yeah. yeah. It is difficult. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've asked this question of all the guests so far. Um, and it's not one I sent on your crib sheet, so apologies for that. <laughs> um, but and I think you're the only person who's actually going to go yes to this. I'm probably going to be wrong. But if you were to look back at a 15-year-old Sam with what you were interested in, yeah. um, would this be the sort of career where you are now that you thought you'd be doing back then? Yeah, probably it is, yeah, because... I've had, I think I heard it described as a wiggly career um, by somebody I, I was trending on LinkedIn six months ago or so. Um, 
I've done so many different things. Um, I love the freedom of my career now, of my life now. And I, I'm not somebody who fits well in a box, do this day to day and then go home and then come back tomorrow and do the same thing. That makes my head pop. I get distracted with shiny things that I can fix. <laughs> so yeah, I, and I always, one of the things I love about the role that I can do now is the people side is looking at the welfare of the staff, the mental health, the just generally making feel, people feel appreciated and valued and proud to work for the company. Um, and that's something I always loved and always knew I'd want to do. Um, so whilst it's not exactly the career, it, it's definitely in the ballpark, yeah. And final question for you, Sam. What's the best advice you've ever received? Um, I think it's probably as a woman to own the space you're in. I try and teach my girls this, but they're teenagers, so they're just, they, they don't buy it yet. But hopefully it'll plant the seed for when they're older. I think as women, we so often precursor what we say with, I'm sorry, but, or this might be a silly question, but, and we don't just accept. It's okay to ask even a silly question, but chances are it's not a silly question. And I think owning that space, owning who you are and being comfortable with asking those questions and, and you earned the right to be there in that room. You earn the right to be in that meeting or to send that email even. You don't need to precursor it with, sorry to waste your time or to bother you or just say it. It's okay, just be who you are. I think that's really important. I agree, I think we do that a, a lot. Um, and we're devaluing our own experience when we do that. Yes. Um, it, it's, I think it's a mix of imposter syndrome slash not wanting to be seen as egotistical yeah. because most of us have been told that we talk too much about something, we're too loud. Yeah. And, and so we sort of apologize before we get that pointed at us again. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. It's been mm -hmm. a pleasure to talk to you um, and thank you also for agreeing to be a panellist um, at the UK Metals Expo in September at the NEC this year where we will be talking about uh, all things sustainability and best practice from SMEs. Thank <laughs> you very much, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.